You're listening to Girl Talk, a podcast for girls, hosted by Girl Scouts River Valleys. Girls are go-getters, innovators, risk-takers, and leaders. As the premier leadership organization for girls, Girl Scouts sets the standard. Girl Scouts is the girl expert, and in a world full of challenges, we're in Girl's Corner. Hey, Girl Talk listeners, I'm Idell, and I'm here today with a returning guest, Maddie Dietz. Hannah and I talked with Maddie a little over a year ago, pre-pandemic, when we could be together face-to-face. Today, Maddie is joining me remotely for a continuance of our first conversation about her passion for writing. Maddie is a fiction writer and aspiring journalist, a Gold Award Girl Scout, the national student poet representing the Midwest region, a young arts finalist in short story, and is a candidate for U.S. Presidential Scholar in the Arts. Her story, Why We Endured the Darkness, was included in the short story anthology, Triangulation Dark Skies, which you can purchase online. Today, Maddie is joining me to talk about what she's up to now, what her plans are after she graduates high school this year, and to read her story, Why We Endured the Darkness, for us on the air. Maddie, welcome back to Girl Talk. Thank you so much, Adele. I can't believe it's been over a year. That seems wrong. I know. I had to look it up in my files and see when it was that we did that episode, and it was over a year ago. So, I mean, it must have been because we were meeting face to face. (laughs) And it's been a year since any of us have done any of that. Nobody's been in my basement since then, probably. (laughs) Except for you and your dog and your cat. Yes, correct. Uh, We spend a lot of time down here, especially now. Yeah. (laughs) We're all looking for cozy spaces right now. Absolutely. We all need them. Yes, we do. But now it's time to get outside because it's finally spring and everything is just feeling a little bit better. Thank goodness. Getting those longer days has changed so much mood-wise for everyone I know. Definitely. I think it's like a full mental health booster. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. Well, so it's so good to see you. I can see you. Our listeners can't see you. It's good to hear you. (laughs) Good to hear you too and see you. Yeah, definitely. So you're joining me from the Eastern time zone right now. Tell us where you're at and what you've been up to. You're not in Minnesota anymore. Yeah, I'm in Michigan right now. I am studying at the Interlochen Arts Academy on scholarship, um, and I'm studying creative writing here. So it's kind of like college, but moving it up one year, which I'm so excited about. Excellent. That's so cool. So I know I read that you are the national student student poet representing the Midwest. Tell us about that. Like, tell us, what does that mean? What do you get to do? The National Student Poets Program is run by the Institute of Museum and Library Services and the Alliance for Young Artists and Writers. And it works through the Scholastic Arts and Writing Competition, which is a national competition that allows artists all in high school to present their work and uh, get some eyes on what they've been working on so diligently over their high school years. I am representing the Midwest, which means... You know, I live in Minnesota. I represent everyone in Minnesota and mm-hmm. the Midwest as a whole. One of the most exciting things about this program is that I get to do a year of service with the National Student Poets Program. And how that's Very looking cool. for me is I'm using this creative writing curriculum that I developed in my Girl Scout Gold Award, and nice. I'm teaching workshops using that curriculum. 
So that is so cool. So fun to get to like take something from Girl Scouts and something from my like art literary life and kind of mesh them together. Yeah. So cool. Well, so speaking of Girl Scouts, you were recently chosen as an honoree for Girl Scouts River Valley's Changemaker Award. And the Celebrate Changemakers event is coming up here in May. And I'm curious, tell us about that experience so far and what it means to you. It honestly means the world to me. I love getting to, you know, make a difference in the communities I'm in. And I'm just so thrilled that you know, creating press corps in Texas and in Minnesota resulted in like something I can kind of use as a platform to keep talking about how important arts and media education and like exposure to those jobs is so, so important for girls and other young people who, you know, often get their voices devalued in those spaces. Well, so you were nominated because of Oh, you know, because you're awesome, but also because um, because you helped found Press Corps. And tell us a little bit about Press Corps. I think we might have talked about it a little bit in our last conversation, I but think just a talk, bit. talk about that. The Press Corps of River Valleys is a space where girls can write and photograph whatever they're passionate about. So if you are excited about any given Girl Scout event, if you have someone you want to interview and publish an article about, you can come to the press corps, talk with us, make it happen. It's a space where you get to learn about jobs in media in a like supportive and collaborative environment. So if any of that sounds interesting, please look up the Girl Scouts of River Valley's press corps. We're always accepting new members. So, and we'd love to have you. Nice. And you started it first in Austin, right? Do you know if it's, is it still going? I, I've heard tell that it's still going. Um, I've looked them up a couple of times and I've kind of poke around and see what they're up to these days. I yeah. really want to reach out again um, once I go to college and kind of see how they're all doing. Nice. Well, that's a cool legacy for you to leave River Valleys as you kind of move on and graduate out of Girl Scouts. So we're all grateful for that. <laughs> So, oh, go ahead. It's just such a scary thought that I'm going to be like graduating out of Girl Scouts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you can always come back as a volunteer. That's Uh, true. And there's always, you know, there's careers in Girl Scouts, but they're not necessarily uh, creative writing careers. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But we'll definitely miss you. And we'll have to have you back to hear about what you're doing. Absolutely. But how are you incorporating your passion for writing into your plans after you graduate? I know you've got plans. You're kind of waiting for college applications to go through. But, you know, I'm sure you have plans for how you're going to incorporate writing into your college studies. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, absolutely. So I think my two main goals for like college and life beyond is one, to keep writing, which is a lot harder done than said because, you know, writing isn't the most profitable thing in the world a lot of times. So I need to like, you know, make sure I'm making space for, uh, you know, a hobby that really helps my mental health and is something I'm really passionate about. And two, I really want to continue my work to give creative education to young people and just in general, folks who don't have a lot of access to consistent writing and creative education, because as our listeners are probably very aware, school funding, especially right now, is very, very messed up. (laughs) (laughs) To to say the least. The long pause before I reached messed up was a lot lot was going through my head. (laughs) Complicated. Yes, complicated, complicated. So I'm hoping to um, do something that both allows me to continue creating and continue working on education and outreach. Very cool. Well, 
so much luck with that. I mean, Thank I mean, you. Good luck. And I hope everything works out with setting up what you're going to be doing next fall and that it all goes well for you. Yeah. Keep your fingers crossed. crossed. Keep your yeah. fingers crossed. <laughs> all right. Well, so now I want to get into kind of the main reason why I wanted you to join me today is to read your story that you had published. And I mentioned it earlier. It was published in the short story anthology Triangulation Dark Skies. So I really, I was curious ever since you talked about it to actually get to read it. And then I really wanted you to read it on the air here on the show, because I love listening to people read their own stories. Like it's one thing to have like an audiobook or somebody read work on a podcast. Like I could read your story on the air if you gave me permission. But I, I love to hear stories read by the person who wrote them. So um, I wanted to give you the chance to do that kind of. Maybe you want to, or maybe it's just me being selfish and wanting to hear you read it. So you're going to do that for us today. And I'm so grateful. So right now, I want to just get into that. I, I could ask you some questions about it, but I really don't want to spoil it. I'd like you to just read through it and then we can talk about it after. So start whenever you're ready. And if you could introduce it with the title. that would be mm-hmm. good. Why We Endured the Darkness. When my back was to the mottled quilt of a spacecraft we'd pieced together, when I was waiting for nothing more than my own small chance at death and beyond, I didn't realize how hard I was praying. Eyes shut so tight that I saw waves of light. I was praying to the stars, to the very idea of stars in the sky, until Harper's lit her hand over mine and everything went blissfully blank. Hey, stop thinking so much, she said, sounding like home. Harper was good at making everything sound brusque and simple and accessible. Angels Almighty, you should hear her talk about trajectory and fuel supply like it was simplicity itself. That was how Harper molded the world around her. She ironed life smooth, snipping off any excess until she was left with a clean circle of connected points, all effortless dotted lines, like the prayer circles we kept tacked up on the walls. Pretty little halos, pinpricked with the promise of light to remind us of what we were hopefully striving for. I'm okay, I claimed. Just nervous, you know, about the potential for a horrific death if this thing breaks. Harper had taken my left hand hostage to squeeze it gently, so I smoothed over the hull of our ship with my other, double-checking that no soft sand from the surf still needed to be brushed off. Our project of decades was complete. All that was left was to wait for it to be fueled up enough to make the pilgrimage. That's not what you're nervous about. Harper's voice always went soft around the edges when she spoke of this. Her thumb kept catching on the knobs of my knuckles, pushing and pulling the wrinkles on the back of my hand like tides. Oh, I'm not scared of dying anymore. All fear is purged from my frail bones. I knew the day would come when I accepted it all. Thanks for telling me. I'm serious. You don't have to be scared. No matter what we find, Ness, nothing changes. Status quo remains if we get out there and find an angel or two that's icing on the cake. She liked invoking these cutesy olden phrases of hers, things that her mother might have said. But this overarching concept of knowledge and the unknown was a long ingrained argument of ours, worn to a shine of passivity over the years, so I felt I was obligated to reply. Knowledge directly challenges the status quo. Harper scoffed, and I smiled. We followed our routine. All the better to soothe one another as we waited. The ship we'd created was beautiful in that it was ours. 
but the equipment was barely second rate. Every step had to be taken with the utmost care if we wanted to make it through reentry. We'd fired a prototype years ago to see what we were up against. The whole thing had imploded before it could reach orbit, becoming its own little star, its own sun to rival our nearby god in the sky, the only one of the angels we had ever seen. I had felt status quo shift into something doomed and barely hopeful in reaction to that knowledge. So I stuck to my argument. That's false, love. Think of Schrodinger. Harper ushered me over to sit by the dock. Meters removed from the hand-sewn ship we'd made and the mess of computers we'd hauled to the shore. We had to land in the water. We'd packed an inflatable raft and a whole mess of life jackets and everything. What we'd built would be lost to the sea, but for the knowledge, I was more than willing to sacrifice our ship. As long as we didn't burn up in the atmosphere or drown a few crucial miles out from shore. Too many of those who had gone before us had failed for me to be able to ignore those possibilities. I was turning over those same fears in my head, but Harper's fingertips were at my jaw, pulling me back to her. Schrodinger, she coaxed, proved that you cannot use that Copenhagen interpretation of yours on anything bigger than atoms. No quantum theory allowed, baby. The cat is either alive or dead, and knowledge does not and cannot change that. Either the prayers are right, the star charts are right, there are great big balls of fire floating through the dark, or there's nothing but vacuum up there. Knowledge won't change that either. I laughed, so of course Harper poked at a dimple. Then why'd you spend half your life being the mathematician to my engineer? Nothing quantum about it. We both know knowledge changes status quo for the observer. You want to know about the angels of the universe as much as I do, love. Don't act so tough. She grinned, so of course I smoothed my thumb over the deepened wrinkles by the corners of her eyes. Yeah, you know me. Real tough. A wind swept up from the sea. It was only a breeze, but it was enough for Harper to turn and scan the sky for any hint of a storm brewing. But it was a pristine sheet, only just starting to burn bright orange with the setting sun. Harper continued, I want to be able to prepare myself. I want to know exactly how many more years I have with you. Harper, I said, because I was near certain I would cry on this trip. I didn't want to start tearing up before it had even begun. I'm happy with however long we get, sweetness. That's the point of all this. The rest of a human life with you? Perfect. More than I could have ever asked for. We get a star's lifetime, too? Then I'll treasure it just as much. But either way, I get more time. Look, even if Schrodinger was intending to prove you couldn't view larger concepts as something that nebulous, the experiment still stands true. Don't know whether or not we've got an afterlife in store for us until we get up there, Harper. Don't even know if we'll get that much more time at all. I mean, whether or not we land safe and sound is completely under our control. We've checked every last calculation in 50 different ways. But Harper was still squinting out at the horizon. We both knew how much risk we were heaping onto our shoulders. Every last person who'd attempted to find a few angels had, no doubt. They'd burned up anyway. 
Considering how much money we'd sunk into the building process and the days off work to plan and plot together, it almost felt like we should have bitten our tongues and sold our souls to get on one of the official church buses up to space, crammed in like sardines as we waited to see what was left for us after this life by signing 50 different agreements to speak nothing of what we saw on pain of shunning. For all of our broken-in arguments, Harper and I could fully agree on this point. Religion should not be put behind a paywall. We would seek out angels of our own accord. Our gorgeous, haphazard ship beeped once to let us know the fueling was complete. I helped Harper drag the computers and cords back across the shore in silence, as far away as we could get from them. Hopefully, they would be out of radius of the takeoff. All that was left was to strap ourselves in and make good use of all the prayers I've made. Harper helped me up into the ship, her hand trembling against mine. You know what? I said as I pulled the hatch shut beneath us, squeezed into one of the twin seats we'd made. They were overly cautious in terms of support, probably. I hadn't known if we'd be taking off at age 30 or 110, so I'd wanted to avoid every last danger I could for the two of us. Now I had one less thing to worry about. What, gonna file for divorce? Harper teased. She leaned over to buckle me in before herself. And try my hand at dating again? Never. I just realized something. I let my hands feel over the edges of our ship as I spoke, checking every last seam and panel. You've got Schrodinger right. I've got human nature right. We both win. Harper paused for a moment, smiling so large her eyes squinted almost shut. Her hand reached out blindly for mine. I took it and pressed a chaste kiss to her fingertips. Wanted to put that to rest before we went searching for the actual answer. Well, aren't you taking the high road? She leaned in and kissed me anyway. We talked about the necessity of this kiss. Long and sweet and potentially our last. What made me tear up as I pulled back was not the weight of that thought. It wasn't the way Harper was clutching onto my hand like a lifeline. It was that the kiss was so wonderfully unremarkable. We'd been pouring all our love into our gestures for so many years that there wasn't any feasible way to up the ante anymore. So we both kissed our long-discussed kiss. Gave ourselves time for a few hundred more before the sun had sunk well below the waves behind the earth. Harper took a slow, deep breath, leaning forward enough to check the small command central we'd built into our ship. Didn't want to have someone stay behind on land in case something went wrong. Didn't want to bring any, anyone into this that might go running to the proper religious authorities to figure out some kind of lawsuit. So we'd played it risky. All right, let's get the show on the road. The high road? Literally, yeah. You ready? We'd both hunched toward each other. We were used to checking and rechecking our work. At this point, though, there was nothing more to check. I'd figured I was so familiar with this ship that anything wrong with it was long past looked over, unfixable now. I'd figured Harper knew her calculations like the backs of my hands. There was nothing else left to do but fly. I barely remember liftoff. I figure I got so nervous that I shut my eyes because all I could remember was squeezing Harper's hand one last time before I had to retreat to my own seat, half a second before the noise crashed down over the two of us. I'd known it was nothing compared to the sound outside, 
we had the walls of our haphazard ship protecting us from the worst of it. But it was louder in the way wooden roller coasters are louder. The sensory overload of the shaking plus the roar had made it all seem as if a hundred decibels were added. By the time I'd opened my eyes, we were well into the sky, and Harper was grinning like she'd won the lottery. The sky had gone a dull, smog yellow, lit up from city after city, looking impenetrable. Even if I knew it wasn't a physical cloud, even if I knew for a fact that we wouldn't be knocked off course from turbulence, my breath had still caught in my throat as I looked up at it through the small reinforced window we'd built. It was so much easier to fear death than what came after death, what simultaneously was and was not lying behind the fog of the sky. Our clunker cleared the smog after ten tremulous minutes, steadied itself to float for the calculated time of one orbit around our washed-out Earth. I closed my eyes again, I think, because I didn't look out the window until Harper touched my cheek, light and reverent. We timed it perfectly, our ascent, the sun behind the Earth based on the church bus's travel times. No doubt the light of one angel so close to us would drown out any potential of the rest of them if we weren't careful. We had been so careful through every detail of this. I'd reached for her before I looked. And, hand in hand, we saw angels. I'd been expecting one or two, if we were lucky, spread out among the vacuum, a length of forever between them. I had expected an afterlife where I would only see Harper out of my reach once in a blue moon, in a black sky. The reality is this. There are so many beautiful souls in the world and outside of it. There are angels spread throughout the sky, just out of reach of the ground. Our universe is swirled with light and fire, and all of this was merely what our very human eyes could see. We had 90 minutes up there. Miraculously, I didn't cry all that much. Laughed and laughed and drowned in joy, yes, but there were very few tears. Harper cried, though. These great, relieved sobs that shook at her shoulders. I don't think I realized until then exactly how much she'd had riding on this one extended moment. Probably she was so busy soothing me that she didn't realize it herself either. We had enough oxygen in the system to sustain all those gasping breaths. It was safe to express. Our ship came full circle, one complete orbit, and then the thrusters stuttered to life. It was only then that I truly cried, like I'd known I would. Leaving the angels behind was so much harder than seeking them out in the first place. Letting them fade behind the yellow-marked murk of the night was almost physically painful. I don't know quite how long the return to Earth took. I kept my eyes trained on the temp measurements instead of the timer. Had to let go of Harper again. Couldn't speak. The angels had stolen both our voices away. There was nothing more that could be said. All that was left was to make sure we didn't burn to death or crash or drown or any number of things that could kill us if we'd gotten a single measurement or calculation wrong. But the angels were real. The stars were as real and bright as they were spoken of in prayers, and maybe that was why all I did in those last few seconds before touchdown was close my eyes and whisper up a thanks. And nothing went wrong. 
not dangerously so, at least. I had trouble inflating my life jacket, but our raft sprung to life and it was sturdy and safe, and the waters were almost monotonous in their predictability. It all felt unreal. I can't describe it well enough, and I'm awfully sorry for that. Seeing our life's work sink below the waves, traveling back to shore in the dead of night with nothing but our knowledge and one good life jacket and the hope that no one in the area called the cops on our unregistered ship, it should have been more poignant. All that felt meaningful to me in that moment, though, was that I still had Harper with me, and I would still have her with me when all this was over. I didn't realize how quiet my mind had become until we reached shore. The hiss of sand slipping over the raft bottom, guiding the both of us to step onto land and fetch our computers again and wheel them to the truck on a dolly. And Harper slid her hand around my waist. Awful nice night out, she said, still rubbing the salt water from her face. Tears and ocean combined. I leaned my head against her shoulder and fished out the plastic-wrapped shoes I'd saved in my pocket. Lavender-scented. Pretty stars, I agreed. I didn't so much see Harper look to the sky as I felt her shift upwards, let out a slow, shaking sigh. They're still out there. I said that quieter, trying to remind myself of it, too. Just because we can't see them doesn't mean they've vanished. That cat sure got the short end of the stick. I laughed again, told my baby to get in the truck before we spent all night looking up at the sky, waited to see if any one of our neighbors would report us for some unregistered spacecraft charge, waited for the statute of limitations to run out. Well, my friends, it's been quite some time. I figure Harper and I are in the clear enough to post the details of it all. We took a few long exposure photographs while we were up there. You'll find them attached to this post. The prayer circles are surprisingly accurate, actually. Share the photos with your friends, your lovers, and your family. Spread them faster than any authority of the church can try to take them down. Let the world know of the stars. What a beautiful story, Maddie. I mean, I feel very privileged to have had you read that on the show here. And I'm so glad that that we were able to do this. I just have a few things here. So short <laughs> stories can be so powerful, but they often leave me wanting more. And they're kind of a snapshot, like a window into a whole world. And you weave this one so beautifully, hinting at themes of love, freedom of religion and thought, and women who are engineers and physicists. So talk about why you like the short story medium and the art of fitting in so much background in such a short time. One of the main reasons I love the short story medium so much is because it's accessible. You can read a short story in the course of like an hour tops. You can write a short story within a couple of weeks if you're really like taking your time. So even if you're, you know, a busy student or if you're sick, like I was a lot of the time when I devoured short stories, <laughs> you can still like enjoy media without feeling like you're going to lose track of the plot or that it's too big of a project for you to handle on top of schoolwork and other work. And I also really enjoy just that snapshot nature of short stories. It allows you to see people at these emotional heights and to get to those parts of stories that are so 
powerful and involve emotion that's very complex without feeling like you have to write pages upon pages of intro beforehand. I also really like writing um, longer form stuff. I'm playing around with drafting a few novels as well. So there's a few novels. novels. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely um, can see the appeal of longer form work as well. I just really enjoy the range short stories can have and the ease of reading and writing them that they provide. Well, you're clear, you're clearly very good at it and have developed your your skills um, very well. So, kudos to you for that. This is oh, a beautiful thank story. you. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, do you? I'm curious. Do you have like? Do you have Harper and Nessa's like whole life in your head? Like, do you do you have any plans to write more about them? I don't know. I haven't actually ever written a short story about like the same characters before. I I usually don't return to characters just because I think that plot and characters are so intertwined. But I do like to really know the backstories of my characters and what my characters would do in the future. Just that then when I'm writing them in a short story, things feel more fleshed out, even if the reader doesn't see all of that backstory and future. So, for example, I think that Harper and Ness met in, like, graduate school. They were both probably on, like, rival debate teams, and that's where they got their, like, fun little arguments over philosophy in a loving and affectionate way. Perfect. All right. Well, so do you identify with these characters, with either of them in particular? Um, I identify with both of them in different ways, in terms of, like, identity. I am also a lesbian. Um, I really relate to Nessa's tendency to worry. And I really relate to Harper's enjoyment of caring for those around her. Those are both things that I find really important in my own life. So I like to relate to my characters in those ways and see how I can kind of connect with my characters. What's really fun is when you write a character that you absolutely do not like, and you still find something that you're like, ah, I see. We both (laughs) share this trait. Uh Uh-huh. We've all got just a little bit of villain in us. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) A little bit of antagonist. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, so this story is about two people embarking on a brief but uncertain and terrifying adventure that seems urgent and necessary, but it's also a love story. Talk about writing it and then sharing it and ultimately having it published. Did you feel nervous at all about that? Oh, I was very nervous. <laughs> it seems very like exposing sort of. You know? Yeah. It, I mean, it, this was actually the very first piece of my writing that was published ever. So there was the nervousness of I've never had something published before. How on earth am I going to feel about this in like five, 10 years time? Will I regret publishing this? There was the fear of this is very much about two women who are in love and you know, I'm not out to all of my extended family members. And I know that if they ever found this story, they would have a lot of questions for me. Mm-hmm. But luckily for me, they're not very into science fiction. So I doubt <laughs> they ever will find it. And there's also the nervousness about I am not a very sciencey person. A lot of my characters are, but it's never, it's not one of my like biggest passions. And in the world of science fiction, there's a lot of emphasis put on like 
correct science versus like psychological ideas of what the future is like. Right. There's That's intimidating. It's very intimidating. I was worried the entire time that like I would get the timing of orbits or them going up into the sky off. In fact, the reason why I have Ness say that she couldn't remember how long it took for them to get back down to Earth is because I couldn't find good enough research on how long it takes <laughs> astronauts to get down. You didn't yeah. trust the research. <laughs> exactly. I was like, this doesn't seem right. I can't. <laughs> yeah. What an interesting thing to talk about. I wouldn't have expected that. I also am not a person who is good at or super interested in things like physics and chemistry and engineering, but it sounds Great. So I would Yay. have not guessed that you were not a super like STEM expert. So coming from just a layman, like I think you did a great job. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Was there a particular person or experience that you had in mind when you were writing this? Or was it more just like, I love sci-fi. I want to write this story about these two women. Like, what can I do here? I think it was mostly just love of sci-fi and wanting to put a story out there in the world that was about, you know, being a woman who loves other women that wasn't about, you know, like trauma and bad things happening to women who love other women. Yeah. So I wanted something that was, you know, very genre fiction focused and Actually, one of my friends in one of my writing groups was helping to edit this issue of the uh, Parsec Inks anthologies. So she reached out to me and let me know about the prompt, which was about light pollution. And I just got enamored with this idea of wanting to see the stars and you know they're out there somewhere and you can't quite reach them. And like, putting um, power into yourself to like make that change and get out there and see them nonetheless. Beautiful. That's a beautiful reason to write a story. All right. Well, Maddie, this has been an excellent conversation. Um, I'm so glad you joined me here today. And I think a lot of our listeners might feel connected to the story. I know I did. I think having Having the goal of getting more more media out there that shows people with different identities not in that sort of trauma negative way, I think is just, it's a great goal. And I appreciate you being out there and doing this. Thank you so much. That like means the world to me. <laughs> yeah. I I truly mean it. So I'm really I'm really glad for for people like you who are out there just killing it. So. Well, thank you so much. I'm grateful for folks like you who, you know, read and like take the time to appreciate just the world around you. So thank you so much, Adele. Yeah. Thanks, Maddie. Girl Talk is brought to you by Girl Scouts River Valleys. Our host is Hannah Gilbert. The show is produced by Adele Erickson and edited by Sarah Mikatel. For more about the podcast and our team, go to girltalk.girlscoutsrv.org. See you next time.